We gather this morning to consider what it means to celebrate. Even in the picture of my dad, he, he is celebrating. He's so much healthier than he was last year and, and the smile on it. And all he said to me was, here we go again. We're going to celebrate whether his healing comes in this world or his healing comes in the next, but we will celebrate. And Lord, there's so many things in our own lives that we just don't take time to celebrate. Celebration is throughout the Bible. And so Lord, help us to open to those pieces in our lives where we need to celebrate the most, perhaps something we've forgotten or we take for granted, like health. But whatever it is, speak to us this morning in that place that we need to hear the most about what celebration in you looks like and what celebration in general looks like as Christians. According to the words that I have to say and their meaning for us this morning and speak to us in places of most need. In Jesus Christ's name, I ask these things. On behalf of us, all of us, the people of God, we say together, Amen. What do you do when somebody in your family has a birthday? What do you do? That's not yet. Go back. Stop stealing my thunder. First slide, that one. Thanks. What do you do if you have an anniversary? What do you do when somebody graduates? You have a party. You have a party. You have a celebration. You celebrate. Are there ever times in the church when we should celebrate? Are there ever times in the church when we should have a party? Of course there are. We do it all the time. Like when great servants of God put the slide up before they do it, who feed us have a birthday? <laughs> this is the first year I was here, and this was just on Wednesday. There's a little change in that young man there. Yeah, right? Uh-huh, yeah. Not sure what the mustache was all about there, but uh, yeah. We shouldn't spend all of our time in celebration, but we should celebrate things. Well, what kind of things do you think we should celebrate? Of course, we should celebrate things like we're going to be celebrating here in a couple of weeks when it actually happens. We're going to celebrate the birth of Christ. We're going to go through the Advent season. We're going to celebrate. We celebrate the resurrection, otherwise known in the world as Easter. We celebrate these things. We celebrate great accomplishments. I think it's perfectly legitimate for us to celebrate accomplishments. At the end of VBS each year, we have a cookout celebration. We celebrated the selling of the property on the leap year day of that year, which I think was 2016. Yeah. We only celebrate every four years, right? Which is this year, right? This is leap year. We celebrate births. We celebrate baptisms, confirmations, people joining. We even celebrate the end of someone's life. That's what we call it, a celebration of life. We'll come together over the next couple of weeks culminating in our second imagined remembrance on December 14th to celebrate all that's happened over these two years of imagine as we go into the third year. And there's some amazing things to celebrate there. We'll celebrate each of our volunteer servants tonight. We know that it's good to celebrate. Celebrating accomplishments makes us feel good. It excites us. It gives us energy. It gives us the desire to keep on going on. A good celebration can last you for a good amount of time. Think about the song this morning as we sang celebration. You're like going, <laughs> you're like inside somewhere, you're getting into it. 
You can't but not feel good when you sing that song. So we know that celebration, celebrating accomplishments is a good thing. The question is, how are we supposed to do it as Christians? But what I mean is there are all kinds of ways to celebrate, aren't there? And we know for a fact that many of those ways to celebrate, celebrate are not appropriate. I mean, think about things that celebrations sometimes get out of hand. When a, a team wins that big game and they go and they tear the goal house down and it costs them $50,000, that's not a good appropriate way to celebrate. It's a lot of money. Or your team wins and they burn couches, you know, and have riots in the streets. Not a good way to celebrate. What? Yeah, that's you. I didn't, I didn't want to. We actually have a, a couch that acts as a candle. That, 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 you know, yeah, yeah, totally worth it. The rules in football. College football, so I allow this yesterday. You can't do this. Can't do this. This is taunting. This is a celebration. This this gets you a penalty first thing. You see it in NFL. It's more about the dance after they make the make the score than it is about actually making the score. It's ridiculous. Mardi Gras, completely off the rails of how it was designed and and what it even means. Farewell to meat. It's all the start of Lent. Totally lost its meaning. And significance. So what's appropriate? The definition of celebration, the dictionary includes words and phrases like to hold up, to honor, to perform publicly, sacramental, holy days, demonstrate uh, satisfaction. John Ortberg wrote a book called The Life You Always Wanted. Anybody read this book? The Life You've Always Wanted? It's in your notes. If, on your, if you're following along on the app, you're welcome to Check it out. might be your next reading. It's basically a book about spiritual disciplines. Much like the classic Richard Foster book, Celebration of Discipline. Doesn't exactly sound like the book you always wanted, does it? What comes to your mind when you think about spiritual disciplines? Prayer, Bible reading, fasting, silence getting up at 4 a.m. for hour-long devotions? Well, the first chapter of his book is no discipline. Maybe you didn't think was a spiritual discipline. The first chapter of his book is entitled The Discipline of Celebration. Now, maybe you never thought of celebration as a discipline. I never did. I mean, some of us are always up for a good celebration, amen? But not everyone's that way. Some people are kind of joy-impaired. It would take a lot to get them outside of that. They have to work at it. They're joy-impaired. And even for the happy-go-lucky types, joyfulness is still a skill. That's why God actually commanded His people to celebrate. Deuteronomy 10.21 says, He is your praise, He is your God, the one who performed these great and awesome acts that you witnessed with your very own eyes. Celebration was an important part of the life of God's people. The Psalms are all full of celebration. Psalm 71.8, My mouth is filled with your praise, glorifying you all day long. Psalm 145.7, They will rave in celebration of your abundant goodness. They will shout joyfully about your righteousness. When God set up rules and laws and traditions for this new nation of Israel, God put a lot of emphasis on feast days for them. In Leviticus 23, we discovered that God commanded God's people to celebrate seven different festivals each year. Four of the festivals were held in the spring. Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, and feast of weeks. Then in the fall were the other three. Trumpets, day of atonement, and tabernacles. And all of these festivals had a historic significance. They had a religious significance. And as we understand as Christians... A prophetic 
significance, pointing to the time when Christ will fulfill all of them. And all of these feasts involve some elements of fun and enjoyment, like getting together for lots of great food and music. God wanted these celebrations to bond the nation together. And God wanted God's people to experience great joy on these special days. So we are supposed to celebrate. So how are we supposed to celebrate? Well, there's a couple of ways at least to think about. The first is God commanded us to celebrate on special days. God commanded us to celebrate on special days. The book of Nehemiah tells about the Jewish exiles who returned to Israel from Babylon after 70 years of captivity. And after they built walls of protection around all of Jerusalem, the first thing Nehemiah commanded was a special day of celebration. Nehemiah 8.10, and Nehemiah continued, Go and do what? Celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food, people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength, which is probably the one piece of that verse you know. The Old Testament makes it clear that one of God's values is celebration. In fact, we probably don't celebrate enough. The way we celebrate Christmas is probably more like the Israelite feast days than any other celebration, but even that has pretty much for the world lost its religious significance. It's a random series of events that bump together in tradition and buying things. Maybe a nativity in somebody's house for the average person. When you lose significance to the things that you do, they just become rituals. They become traditions without any meaning. It can happen in the church all the time. So how we celebrate is very important. And the connection to God we make with those things. Sometimes I think we tend to think that we're only pleasing God in our solemn moments. We think God is pleased when we say the blessing before the meal, but somehow God loses interest in the conversation and the laughing and the talking and the enjoying of the food that's happening with God's people. I had the feeling maybe the opposite is true, that God takes great pleasure with what happens after we pray over the meal too. The same way we might look at somebody else having a great time or just like, it's so great they're having this amazing time. You see, joy is at the heart of God's plan for human beings. Joy, not happiness. Joy is not circumstantial. Joy is something that comes from deep down within, even when things aren't going well. Happiness is dependent upon circumstances and upon your place. And I suspect most of us seriously underestimate God's interest in pleasure and laughter and fun and all kinds of celebrations, and yet most of the times you remember the most in your life are big times of celebration. And think about a child on Christmas morning. There's great joy, there's excitement, anticipation, there's jumping up and down kind of joy. I mean, it is beyond all measure. That's joy. Unbridled joy. And John Ortberg suggests the idea of setting aside one day every week to celebrate. One day every week to celebrate. Here's what he says. One day a week devote a specific day to acts of celebration. Eat foods you love. Listen to music that moves your soul. Play a sport that stretches and challenges you. Read books that refresh your spirit. Wear clothes that make you happy. Surround yourself with beauty and give thanks to God for his wonderful goodness. Take time to experience and savor joy. And direct your hearts to God so that you come to know he is the giver of every good and perfect gift. Basically, look for any excuse to celebrate. Look for any excuse to celebrate in life. 
Celebrate that good report. Celebrate that report card. Celebrate that trip we took to Christmas Village. We do this every year. It's just one of these crazy little things that we do that's become our family tradition kind of piece of it. One of the few times that Christmas music is playing on the radio and everybody's dressed in Christmas clothes and kind of the precursor to getting excited about what is yet to come and gathering together and doing it. You've got to celebrate this stuff. You've got to find the things to celebrate because if you don't take time to celebrate, you'll automatically go the other direction. You'll become mundane. You'll stay in your life. You'll be dragged down. You'll fight to keep going on because there isn't anything to move you forward. I mean, you can celebrate when you have good wins in football. When you beat your little brother and send him back home to Lansing. You, all, you know, you watch football, basketball, all that kind of stuff, any sport. You watch anything you watch, you know, you like to celebrate. You like to celebrate wins, whatever the win is. We celebrate that. We get excited about it. Second, God commands us to celebrate every day. Not only special days, but every day. Even more than setting aside one day a week for celebration, try this discipline. Set aside one hour a day for joy. Set aside one hour a day to be focused on joy. God commands us to make celebration a way of life. Not just in special things, but that it becomes a part of our life. That we're celebrating the small things as well as the large. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was imprisoned and eventually executed for speaking out against Hitler in the 1940s. And he wrote that his meals in prison made an opportunity to exercise the discipline of joy. Think about that. That even in prison, he was able to experience the discipline of joy. This is what he says. God cannot endure that unfestive, mirthless attitude of ours in which we eat our bread in sorrow with pretentious, busy haste or even shame. Then he says this, through our daily meals, he is calling us to rejoice, to keep holiday in the midst of our working day. So holiday means, means holy day. Even in prison, he understood the celebration is a discipline. It's not optional. He understood the second way that God commands us to celebrate. Another man who was in prison wrote these words in Philippians 4.4, which people really love. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say again, what? Rejoice. He's writing this from prison. Near the end of his life. The problem with people, according to Jesus, is not that we are too happy for God's taste. That doesn't tend to be the complaint. Oh, you guys are just too happy. You're too happy. I'm sorry. You're going to have to tone it down. But we're not happy enough. Louise, Louis Smeads wrote, To miss out on joy is to miss out on the reason for your existence. We are to be a joyful people. As Christians, we have every reason for joy, no matter what's going on in our lives. So what is it that steals our joy? Well, there are lots of things, but the two biggest joy stealers are hurry and worry. They are hurry and worry. And in my world, maybe in your world, they tend to be twins. And they arrive together to make sure that they're heard. In fact, I've noticed that worry makes hurry, and hurry makes worry. See? Especially when perhaps you're driving on the road and you're late somewhere. You act exactly the same as when you have nowhere to go, right? You're not in a hurry at all. Got to pick somebody up. Got to get there. You're willing to kill somebody to knock them off the road to get out of the way to get to where you need to go when you got to get there. Hurry. Because you're worried you're not going to make it in time. And so they, they feed off of each other in our lives and they steal our joy. And then last, God commanded us to celebrate today. Don't wait for tomorrow. Celebrate today. Don't wait for tomorrow. 
Psalm 118, 24 exhorts us. It says, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us do what? Rejoice and be glad in it. Not tomorrow, not yesterday. This is the day the Lord has made. Most of us tend to think that happiness is just around the corner. Joy will come in one of those days. When things get better, when we finally get out of school, or we get a better job, or we get married, or we get our kids raised and out of the house, or after we get that surgery over with, or maybe when we finally win the lottery, we live with the illusion that joy will come someday when conditions change. Amen? But that's not how it works. If you can't find joy now, your conditions changing will not enable you to find joy later. The truth is, if we're going to know joy, it'll be today. It'll be tomorrow. People around me want me to stop my life because my dad's going through what he's going through. Oh, you don't need to do anything. Or no, no, we'll cancel this meeting. I'm like, why? Think I'm incapable of being able to to walk through this at the same time? To stop and cry when I need to? To slow down when I need to? To do anything else? I'm going to stop my life because of what's happening? I can't be happy. I won't be able to laugh later on today or whatever else because of my father? No. Happiness is fleeting. Joy is forever. Joy has to be found in a whole different place. Here's how John Ortberg puts it. I tend to divide my minutes into two categories, living and waiting to live. Most of my life is spent in transit, trying to get somewhere, waiting to begin, driving someplace, standing in line, waiting for a meeting to end, trying to get a task completed, worrying about something bad that might happen, or being angry about something that did happen. These are all moments when I am not likely to be fully present, not to be aware of the voice and purpose of God. If we're always waiting for the next thing, we can never spend the moment that we have with God right then. Amen? Got to be present in the moment that you have, not the one that you don't. Or in the past. To joy is a command, and it takes the discipline of celebration to build joy into our lives. It's not natural. So it's like you can have a habit of hurrying and of worrying. And you say, that's my habit. I hurry, I worry. Make instead your habit to be joyful. Create that habit in yourself. Instead of hurrying and worrying being your habit. Habits are hard to break, but developing a good habit of celebrating the goodness of God every day will change who you are. So rejoice. Celebrate. The writer of Ecclesiastes observes that there are times to grieve and there are times to celebrate. We're taking advantage of an opportunity to celebrate today. That's what we're talking about. These cards represent our celebration. They are the things that when we look at them are the things that we want for our church and for ourselves. The ways we want to be living a generous life. When we look at these things and we go through them and we think about them, we think about our prayers and opportunities we have to be able to increase our prayer life and to make covenant together, to be able to do that, that we're going to do that together. These folks I mentioned here this morning, including my dad, you know, when I tell him, all these people are praying for you, guess what? It actually means something. So prayers are an important part that we have to consider how it is that we're going to be able to live our generous life out through our prayers because one of the things we can do the most of it costs us the least but is giving. When we, when we look at these things and we go through and we, and we talk about our presence and we look at what it means to be present with each other in worship and how that looks, but we also think about what it means to be present with each other in small groups. I'll say it again tonight, but I believe that the, the renaissance, the, the sense of growth that we're seeing within our congregation is 
definitely based on the fact is that more and more of us have decided to come together in smaller groups. Whether they are 10 to 12 kind of groups or they are the 3 to 5 kind of groups, the point is is that we now have more than doubled the number of folks who are in small groups in less than a year. That can't not help but change who we are as a congregation as we gather together in those ways and, and figuring out what kind of groups to be in, what kind of group I am in, what, how do I grow in my groups and that sort of thing as well. And then financial gifts, to be able to look at our financial gifts and to think about what do I give weekly and monthly and yearly and how does that step up to the fact of, of being closer to the tithe or at the tithe or beyond the tithe, which is 10%. It's pretty simple. If you make $40,000, it's $4,000. Divide it up. Is that what you give? Where are you at? Where can you move? I suggest you, if you can't move in that direction in large increments, you move small. 1%. And every year you keep doing that. If you're at 7%, guess what? In three years you'll be at 10%. You won't even notice the difference because you've moved like this. As opposed to going, oh my gosh, I only give 4%. I can't possibly give 6% more money right now. Okay. Then give 1%. The point of it is not that it's going to change that 1% is somehow going to change our budget dramatically or how we do things. That is not the point. The point of it is, is the giving changes us. It moves us forward being more generous in that area of our life. One of the things people too is that, you know, if you give us a number... And you give us a name, this is not etched in blood. We will not come to your house and then track you down and throw a rock through your window. But here's one thing you can do. If you give us a number and a name, we can actually track it to help you. The little thermometer, if you give to Imagine, that comes out there and tells you how much, where you're at, if you actually give that towards the operating budget, the impact fund, you can actually put it in the same way so it can help you to figure out a lot easier than what we have to do usually, which is, calculate how many times I was here and how many weeks and figure all that out. You give us a number and a name, which of course is confidential, then it'll just show you out to the side. There's your thermometer. You're not where you're supposed to be or you're over your... That's how it works. No fuss, no muss. So if you write a name and you put a number on this thing, then you can do that. And if it changes, it changes. If it changes down, it changes down. Let's pray about it. Let's see what's going on. How's life going? If it goes up, and your income goes up, you should give more to God. You get a raise at the end of the year, you should give part of that raise to God. There's no doubt about that. How can you possibly say you're being faithful if you don't give out of what you've received? That's part of generosity. And then service. I mean, you know, this is a, is a thing that you unfail, and, and there's all kinds of things to be able to do. There's something on here that you're gifted to do. Some of you are already doing that, and thankful. I'm thankful for you doing that. Some of you are like, try something new. Try something new. What's the worst that can happen? You're not any good at it. And you go, okay, now I know. I'm not going to be any good at liturgical dance. That's probably not what I'm going to want to do. But let's try it. Why not? Let's suit up. Let's go out. Let's do something different. And we celebrate that. You never know what you're capable of doing until you try to do something. Sitting back and not doing anything will never give you the results you want. You have to go out and do that. And then our witness. To look at this and be able to write down your personal testimony. Have you ever written down what you believe and how you got here? What were the moments in which your life changed? What made the difference for you? Was it a person? Was it an event? What happened? What's your before? What's your before Christ and your after Christ? What's it look like? How do you share it? Are you ready to share it? First Peter tells us we're to be ready to be accountable to anyone who asks us for our witness. Why do we believe what we believe? If we can't articulate it and we can't share it, we can't possibly believe it. It's only when you articulate and are able to share it and be able to be able to have that conversation that you really know what you believe. Ask anybody who I question, they go, oh, I'm not really sure about that. It takes that time to do that. So think about what that might be for you this year. How many love cards you want to pick up? An opportunity exists all the time with cards all over this building to have a little business card that you can keep with you to give to somebody when the opportunity arises. And how many times probably have you been someplace, even I've been like this, and you haven't had that card at the right exact moment and the 
the whole thing was missed, and you knew it. You knew it. I felt it. I've done it before. I'm like going, I don't have what I need right now. I can tell you a word, but I'd love to be able to give you this card. That's what these things are. These are our celebrations of our covenants together. They are the pieces of what we do as a church. They're also our vows of being United Methodists. As members, we have all taken these vows at one point or another in our life. And as a part of this community in any way, these are what we hold to be true every Sunday. And so my encouragement is, if you haven't filled it out, to, to fill this out, whether it's today or after this. And if you didn't bring today, and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so worried I didn't bring him today. All right, it's all right. This is something to help you to be able to grow. Putting whatever it's in here doesn't change what the church is going to do. But this will change you if you celebrate and live into these covenants together. The psalmist who wrote Psalm 100 reminds us that we celebrate not only because of what God's done, because a lot of times it's about what God's done, but also who God is. Have you ever taken time to celebrate just who God is without looking at what God has done for us? Because also there are things like the Lord is God. That's a celebration. The Lord is our God. Focusing on God allows our praise and celebration to be never-ending. God's character never changes. As the scripture says, God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Amen? That's a celebration that we have a God who's like that. We celebrate the greatness of God, that God is our, of our worship as the creator of all. God is the Lord of Lord and the King of Kings. We will sing those words again. We will hear those words again as we get closer into the Advent season. We celebrate God's also a good God. The prophet Jeremiah declares, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Amen? That's a celebration. That we have a God who cares that much for us. That God is for us and not against us. And most of all, we celebrate our God who saves. That we just seem to forget and move on because it's happened to us. Or is happening to us. Our God who saves. One of Jesus' greatest stories, Luke 15, 11 through 31, was about a huge celebration. The biggest celebration, Jesus says, is when something that is lost is found. You know this in your own life, when you've lost something and you find it, it's the biggest celebration. Something really stupid that you lost, that you're like, you know... It doesn't even mean anything, except it does mean something. And so you find it. I mean, you know, it could be something very small that you're looking for. But when you find it. So he says, in the verses of that, he's, the, the, the person who's talking says, Celebrate with me because I've found my lost sheep. In the same way I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who changes both heart and life than over 99 righteous people who have no need to change their hearts and lives. Celebrate with me because I've found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, joy breaks out in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who changes both heart and life, or most of all, a son or a daughter. We must celebrate with feasting because the son of mine was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and is found. And they began to do what? Celebrate. At the biggest party ever. Celebrate. Make your family events in the times of celebration. Make special occasions special because you plan for them. Don't let them pass you by. Or treat them like they're not important. Don't let birthdays, anniversaries, marriages surprise you. Plan for them. Help people feel special. When you finish a project, receive a raise, get a new job, get accepted into college, get a great report card, celebrate. It doesn't have to be an expensive night out. Just rejoice in the goodness of God. Stop. Take some time and go, this is a time to celebrate. 
At Advent, Christmas, Easter, St. Valentine's Day, even Halloween, and especially Thanksgiving, don't let it go by without making it something special, without really delving into the meaning of it and the understanding of it. Celebrate the fact that God is with you. Celebrate God's presence and God's love, and that God will never fail nor forsake you. We need to celebrate. We need to rejoice in God's presence and God's awesome blessings. Amen? And remember what Paul said. He told the Philippians, Rejoice. I say again, rejoice. Exclamation point. That's the command that God has given to us. So let's live it out. Let's celebrate in all the ways that we can and all the things that we can. Amen. So as we gather this morning, then part of that celebration for us is an opportunity to be able to to give these things that we have worked on and prayed about or hurriedly scattered something on and threw them in the back of an envelope. That's okay, too. To focus. And when we come up this morning to receive communion, then you can drop those things in. If you're coming up here, drop them in here first, and then you'll have your hands free to be able to receive communion. There are baskets there where you can drop them in as you come up and be able to do those pieces as well. And then when you leave, I want you to... The older adults did something really special for us. They were so um, enamored by the whole before amen that they actually had cards made up and laminated that have the prayer on it. And they give those to us, all of us in the church. So these are here, and when you, come, when you come through as you're kneeling at these rails or as you're passing by, they're on every side. You'll just pick one of those up if you want one. I've got one on my desk. I look at it every day. They made it really easy, really simple for us to be able to do that um, this morning. So that's their gift to us, and I celebrate that. They didn't have to do that. It's a blessing. It's a blessing. And so we also have opportunity to be able to hear from our youth about what they think generosity is. And so as Davis gets that ready to go, I want you to hear what our youth think that generosity is. Listen close. The audio is kind of wonky, so uh, put your listening ears on. When you guys hear the word generosity, What comes to your mind? What things do you think about? When I think of generosity, I think of a mindset of giving when you're not obliged to and when you're not necessarily asked to or supposed to. Excellent. Anybody else? When I think of generosity, I think of when you buy something, you're required to pay for what you bought, but you're not required to give a tip. So tips are kind of like the generosity that you give. I also think generosity means going above and beyond what is expected by like society. Um, like Alex said, it's expected that you, you pay. I mean, that's, that's the law, but you don't have to tip it's just something you do generously generosity is like in the word being generous is to want to give to something want to give to someone because you're thinking of them and how whatever you would give them and how it like how it would affect them so instead of feeling obligated to do something it's something that you want to do is that what you're trying to say yeah. awesome so let me ask you this Describe a time in your life where you have ever either experienced someone being generous to you or whether you were generous to someone else. I think one example of a time when someone was generous to me is we were selling cookies one day and the wind was coming toward us and it was so cold outside. It was very, very, very cold. And this man bought some cookies. And all that was normal because it's what we're there to do. And then he came back and he had gone to Sonic and he had bought us hot chocolate 
for after our shift was over. And even though he didn't have to, he was thinking about us and how we were probably cold and bought us some hot chocolate. Um, something that happened, well, didn't happen to me, but when me and my mom, we went to the store to buy stuff for dinner, and uh, my mom only like brought the money that she needed. And we, after we came back out, we had about $8 to spare, and I noticed that there was this homeless guy sitting on a bench. And I looked, him, I looked over at him, I looked over at my mom, my mom, and I said, Mom, let's go back in and get him sleep crackers and maybe a water bottle or two. When we went back in there, we got him, we got him sleep crackers and some water bottles. And when we gave them to him, we had like a dollar or two left, so I just gave it to him. How are some ways that we can be generous? I think one way to be generous is to give your full attention to something. Like if you're like in church, like in Sunday school, and you're you're listening, but you're not fully engaged. Maybe you're thinking about what you're going to do the next day or trying to decide where you're going to eat after Sunday school lets out, and you're not giving your full attention and you're not being generous with your participation in the discussion. I think you can also be very generous like with your time and how you spend it. Um, time is one thing that you can't really get back. I mean, you spend time somewhere, it's that's the time. And so people spending their time doing things, you know, teachers staying behind to help a student who's struggling or, you know, a youth pastor staying behind to help a student who has a question or just little things like that. Um, just are really impactful, I think. I don't know what Callie said. Another example would be volunteering. Like, we did feed the need, and a lot of us volunteer. And I mean, it takes a few hours, but it's totally worth it at the end. Generosity is a mindset. And one of the things we talked about a little bit in youth group was when Paul wrote in Philippians. In Philippians 2, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Would you guys say that is a good definition or a good mindset to have when you want to be generous? I think that that mindset leads to you being generous because when you're having that mindset, you start thinking less of yourself and you don't get so bogged down about what I'm going to do next, what's going on in my life, and you start to think of other people, and then that leads to thinking of what you can do for other people, and that leads to being generous. Well, thank you all, and I am really appreciative of it, and I think you guys are being really generous of your time right now. Um, but that's it. Back to the booth. Thanks, youth. Let's center ourselves on receiving the generosity of God through the gift of His love as those who are coming forward to serve. Come forward, let us pray. Gracious God, may this opportunity we have to be able to receive these elements, the opportunity to know that you gave your life for us. On that night, you gave yourself up for us. You took the bread. You gave thanks. You broke the bread. Gave disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body. It's given for you. When the supper was over, you took the cup. Gave thanks. Always thanks first. And then gave it out to the disciples. As your blood poured out for them and for us. And so, Lord, as we come to this table this morning, let's remember your great sacrifice a remembrance of your love and of the joy that you had in all of us and of the celebration that even in those last moments we are thankful that you thought of us. So pour into these, this bread and this juice now. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit and blessed and given in, out of your love. And the people of God said together, Amen. We've heard a lot this morning about generosity and celebration. 
And I don't know if you've ever thought about communion. And Pastor Jeremy is serving communion every single Sunday. And so today, to help him celebrate with his family, we're going to have him go and be with Susan and receive communion as one of us. You are the one. 
creates memories my daughter will only be 16 once the big celebration we had for that will remember always the celebrations we celebrate in the church will remember always the celebrations of the days and the things that happen in our lives will remember always I think that's why God has us marked time that way to continue to remember great gift that God gives us. So go forth and celebrate and rejoice. And again I say, rejoice. Amen. Amen. Go rejoice today. You're dismissed.